the great thing about retiring is that you get to do all the things you didn't have time to do before. And for me, a lot of that is about giving back and being able to get really more involved in different organizations that I may have had an association with when I was a broadcaster. Well, that's the great thing about it is you do have time to get into organizations on a different level. It's not just like local things that I'm volunteering for. I've worked at orphanages in Mexico. I've been to African countries. I even taught a class in journalism to girls in Ghana. It's such a great time in your life. If you're healthy and you've got the ability to pay for it, why not do stuff like that? I'm Peter McCulley. You'll recognize the name Pamela Martin as an award-winning news anchor and journalist who spent 30 years informing British Columbians on the issues of the day. These days, Martin's a busy volunteer with groups that include the Pacific Autism Family Network. We'll catch up with her and find out what she's up to on this edition of Today in BC. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Pamela. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here. You've been retired from television news now for some time and been volunteering your time and talents for Coastal Mental Health and the Pacific Autism Family Network. I'd like to talk about some of the good work you've been doing with these folks, but perhaps we could catch up a bit. Sure. It seems like you just retired from TV news. It was 2011. I know. I can't believe that. Do you and your co-anchor, Bill Good, ever run into each other every now and then? I just ran into him last night. Yes, we do. He lives on the Sunshine Coast, so not all the time, but we're friends, and it was great to see him. Back in the 70s, you were the first female reporter hired for CKNW News Radio. I started out working at Czech TV in Victoria, actually, but I loved news. That was a magazine format program where I started, and really, even that was unexpected. Like, I had this thought that I wanted to work in television, so I put together a letter and a resume and sent it to Czech TV in Victoria and a few other places. And then I went in all the time and tried to convince them to hire me, but I really wanted to do whatever. I would answer the phone. But my five-year plan, I said, was to host my own show about women's issues and culture and whatever was happening at the time. After about six months, that's the job they offered me. You know, your first show starts in a month and it's like, what? I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. I thought, well, I better figure it out quickly. So I did. And I stayed in Victoria for about a year doing that. But I loved news. I quickly discovered that. So decided I had to go to Vancouver. It probably wasn't a big enough market in Victoria at the time. I applied again to radio stations and television stations and CKNW offered me a job. I didn't even say yes right away. (laughs) I thought, I'm not even sure. Like it was a beat reporter. I thought that they might have just decided that they had to hire a woman because this was 1976. And even though it was a long time ago, it was still a bit behind to not have any women on the air. It was still thought of as being experimental, that women didn't have the sort of commanding deep voice that men had. It was a bit of an uphill battle, absolutely, around that with the employer and with the public as well. They offered me 
a job being a news reporter, and I had done maybe a dozen stories already at Czech TV. So it was a great opportunity, but it was tough. I know they put me through the paces. They tried everything they could to uh, convince me that I probably didn't want to do this. Sent me out to do stories on dead bodies that were found or union meetings. And they just put me through everything that they thought maybe I wouldn't be able to manage. But I did. It was a great opportunity to work at CKNW. Actually, one of my most interesting stories that I ever did at CKNW. So I had just started and had been there like maybe a month. The Prime Minister, Pierre Trudeau, was coming to Queen Charlotte Islands. That's what they were called then, Haida Gwaii. It was on my shift. So the news director, trying to be fair and not treat me differently, said, okay, she's the one who goes. So I went to Haida Gwaii, and I had no idea what I was doing, honestly. You know, the whole Ottawa gang was there interviewing him, and they weren't even talking about what he was doing there. But he was actually looking at the art, and he was talking about bringing the art back, and that was the story that I did. I forget what he was there for, but what I decided to do was the stories about how the art was all over the world, and they wanted to get it back. So the news director at BCTV, I guess, heard my stories. They were not the typical CKNW kind of stories about getting art back. Later said that was why he offered me a job at BCTV. You must have run into Jack Webster now and again. Was he as gruff and rough as he portrayed himself? No, Jack was a softy, but he loved to come across that way, <laughs> you know, as the probing reporter who wouldn't take a non-answer. And Jack was a great reporter and loved by many, but really genuinely a very kind, soft-hearted man. He was known for that on Salt Spring where he had a summer home, but I grew up watching him on Front Page Challenge. And so his persona was rough and gruff. Every time the prime minister, whoever was the prime minister, whenever they were in town, they always came onto Jack's show. And there were very few that could keep up with him. Maybe Pierre Trudeau. He was tough. He studied. He had his information down cold. And if he didn't, you'd never know. In 1968, you won the title of Miss Teen USA. <laughs> yes. As you found employment in the media business, did you... Ever wonder whether that helped your resume or hurt your resume? I did wonder. I was a little bit embarrassed about it in the beginning because I became a feminist right after that. I went off to university and then all of a sudden it was this embarrassing, you know, kind of anchor around my neck. When you're applying for a job, you just use whatever you've got. And if that meant something to someone, great. It was actually a great experience. You know, I traveled around the United States giving speeches and meeting the public. You know, a lot of those skills take years to develop. So in many ways, it was a great opportunity for me. But it didn't have a good reputation. People thought it was pretty shallow. And, you know, they still do. I don't know whether it helped me or hurt me, to tell you the truth. It's just one of the little facts in my life. I don't look back on it as a negative experience, but the perception is negative. I was fascinated to see where your educational opportunities took you as a young woman. As we mentioned, you were in the Michigan area after graduating with a BA, you moved to BC in your 20s to begin your career, but you also attended University of Mexico and Italy. 
I did. I did that because I loved to travel and I wanted to travel more. And my parents were adamant that I went to school. I figured out if I travel while going to school, it accomplishes both. So I went to school in Mexico City and in Florence, Italy. And what were you taking? In Mexico, I took Spanish. And in Florence, I took Italian, but also my major was in Italian Renaissance art. So it kind of made sense, really, to go to school there and, you know, walk by Michelangelo sculptures every day and get to look at them over and over. It was an incredible experience. I actually recommend that to everyone to live in another country if you can. It was just a phenomenal experience. You learn another language and you learn about a culture in a way that you can't learn it as a tourist. I look back on those as really great mind-expanding experiences. I still speak Spanish, but the Italian, not so much, you know, because I don't really use it. But I'd like to go back. It's still my plan to try to go back and live there for a few months and study Italian again. I think it would come back quickly. Spending time in Mexico and Italy, did you learn to cook like a local? And do you still enjoy some of those recipes today? (laughs) Good question. But unfortunately, no, Um, not into cooking that much, even today. I didn't really have that opportunity. I lived with families, which was an incredible experience. I wanted my sister to do that and my children to do that. And I really encourage them to do it because it's such a great experience to learn about another country that way. I actually have gone to cooking school in Italy, but it was, you know, 10 years ago. A good friend of mine is a chef, and for many years, he would take a group of five or six couples to Tuscany and they would do a two week adventure where they stayed in a different little town each night and picked up food at an open market and then cooked it at a place that evening and then moved on to the next. I love it. You've got television credits on various TV shows. Sometimes that's a natural byproduct of being in television news where they're making a movie and they might need a reporter for a certain scene. Were all of those playing yourself on television or did you get to play a different character in a show or movie once or twice? I always played a reporter or an anchor, and I think it's 50 or something. I know, it's crazy. And at the end, I was thinking, maybe I should try to branch out a little, but no. (laughs) Actually, it was a lot of fun. And oftentimes, the script would be wrong. So I would end up having to tell them, no, there's no reporter who would say, this is how you would say it. And they were usually very happy to get that advice. Those were really fun days, really fun. But not serious. And I know that BCTV at the time, they weren't really thrilled about it because they thought that the public might get the perception that you're just playing a role, even when you're doing the news. But that was not at all the case. And it was just an opportunity to try something else. I met lots of interesting people, Angelina Jolie, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Jodie Foster, Kelly McGillis. So whenever there was a big film in town, it was a blast to be (laughs) able to have a tiny role in it. Sounds fun. After you retired from journalism, you worked for Premier Christy Clark as Director of Engagement. How did you enjoy working in the political climate that you reported on for so long? I actually loved it, to tell you the truth. Once I left broadcasting, I realized that there were parts of myself that I really hadn't used in that career. I can't think of anything more fun. It is the most fun. You might feel that way 
Peter, right? You meet people, you are, can ask them any question you want. They may not answer, but it's not rude. You're, this is just your job. And I look back and think it was the golden age of television news when I was at BCTV because we had money, we had big budgets. And if there was a story, if we had to charter three planes to get there, we would. If you needed to do research, that was fine. It wasn't about getting it on the air first, whatever you had. You did want to be first, but more emphasis on investigative and really getting to the bottom of a situation. So nothing could be more fun than working as a journalist. And I would have to say that I traveled all over the province and met people everywhere. I went to London just before the royal wedding of Diana and Charles. You meet Fidel Castro, Bill Clinton, Jane Fonda, and it's just an incredible opportunity to meet people and just everyday average people that have a good story. I felt that I had done it. I mean, we finished the Olympics. That was a huge highlight and that was an amazing experience. But I was just looking for something else to do that would be different. I had always wanted to work in politics, but because I was a journalist, I couldn't, of course, and never, ever expressed any political opinions never joined a party. And in fact, I didn't even vote most of the time because then I would have a bit of an investment in the outcome. Technically, along came this opportunity and she was running for the leadership of the BC Liberal Party. And I thought she would make a good leader. And of course, at that time, because the BC Liberals were in power, whoever became the new leader would become the premier automatically. That's what happened. Then she wanted me to come and work in her office, and it was an incredible experience, I have to say. It was very different, uncomfortable moments, for sure, in the beginning. I wasn't used to having an opinion or expressing a political opinion at all. I was quite guarded, had been for many years. And yet, it was interesting to see the other side not be the person asking the question, but being on the team that's actually doing it. So it was fascinating. And I guess I realized that a lot of people knew me as a news anchor, but as an anchor, you're in a studio, so you don't meet them. It's only in reporting, which luckily I continued to do. When I started working for Christy, it gave me the opportunity to meet those people so that I could know them back not just be the person that they saw on television. I really enjoyed it. It was a great opportunity. I was there for six and a half years until we lost government. We didn't actually lose the election. Technically, we had one more MLA than the then opposition, now government, NDP, but we couldn't form the government. So that was the end of that. When Today in BC continues, Pamela Martin talks about the Pacific Autism Family Network and the work that's being done to help neurodiverse children. Search, browse, buy. Black Press Media brings you today's drive. Find your new vehicle on our exclusive platform and get driving. At todaysdrive.com, you'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. With new and used vehicles from the dealership around the corner, and dealers across BC. The best venue to find your next vehicle is todaysdrive.com.
Today in BC is a Black Press Media podcast. I'm Peter McCulley. Pamela, you've been volunteering your time in the community, which reminds me that most of the retired folks I know work harder than they did when they were working full-time. I think you qualify for that. You know what happens, Peter, is that people ask you to do things, and I'm excited. I want to do it. So I say yes to too many things. So yes, you're right. (laughs) You don't have any structure anymore. So you think, oh, sure, I can do that. I can do that. And pretty soon you're like overbooked. But the great thing about retiring is that you get to do all the things you didn't have time to do before. And for me, a lot of that is about giving back and being able to get really more involved in different organizations that I may have had an association with when I was a broadcaster. And for example, Coast Mental Health. Every year we have this incredible event called The Courage to Come Back. When they first started, I was the MC. That would be like in 1998 or something. It was pretty small and a few hundred people. And today it is a huge event. It's at least 1,500, maybe more. We raise millions of dollars and I was able to come back to it and get more involved. And now I'm on the board. That's the great thing about it is you do have time to get into organizations on a different level, I think, than just as a broadcaster. It's not just like local things that I'm volunteering for. I've worked at orphanages in Mexico. As a matter of fact, I've been to African countries. I even taught a class in journalism to girls in Ghana. It's such a great time in your life. If you're healthy and you've got the ability to pay for it, why not do stuff like that? Pamela, how did you get involved with the Pacific Autism Family Network? Wendy and Sergio Kokia are very good friends of mine, and they, back a couple of decades ago, they had a little baby, Roy, and they discovered when he was about two that he was diagnosed with autism. Unfortunately, he has a quite severe autism. They are very dedicated parents, like all parents. They traveled really all over the world trying to find the answer, to find something that could help their son. They did find things, but they didn't want other parents to feel this way because there was so little information. And at the time, I think it would have been before 2000, it was maybe one out of a hundred children were being diagnosed with autism. And now in BC, it's one out of 29. There was just no information, no one to help you. And they had just blazed the trail in that sense. And so they were very motivated to set up what they thought they would have needed and wanted as parents, which was a place to go to get information, to get therapy, to guide you as a parent in so many different ways, and to try to give your child the opportunity to learn to speak and learn to live in the world, to be able to dress yourself or make a meal. There's so many life skills that children may not have. Neurodiverse children, autistic children, and different neuro challenges. There's so many different things that are needed. So they were motivated to set up this center, I believe the only one of its kind in North America, where it's a one-stop shop. You, You can bring your child in there. You can get what you need there. If you need a diagnosis, okay. You can get therapy. You can go to preschool, help them get ready to go to school, to learn some life skills, 
how to just even do potty training. Things like everyday things or counting or dressing. There's so many skills that we maybe don't think about, but that if you don't know how to do them, you can't be a part of society. That's what this is. And it's a great place because it's a place for parents. Usually when they first arrive there, they're struggling because their child is not developing. Maybe they're not speaking or maybe they have very little speech and they have motor skill problems. So there's such a big range of issues that you might have very low verbal or nonverbal or even behavioral problems. When you go there, you can get the answers. I've met so many parents who just feel like it's a godsend for them. It's really given them a direction. It's helped them put together a plan for their child and access the services that they need that are there or maybe in their own community because the Pacific Autism Family Network has four places around the province where parents can access this kind of information or the therapy and whatever it is they need. One of the things we're working on now is a dental clinic. Because there are kids who are so sensitive to light or to touch or to sound, they just can't let a dentist look in their mouth. And there's so many things like that that I don't think parents with typical children really even think about. If your child is diagnosed, you need help very often. And this is a great place to go. There's also job training. We just opened the very first neurodiverse job training site at an airport in Canada. It's called a Paper Planes, and it's a cafe on the domestic arrivals level two. I'm inviting everyone to come and check it out. It's really fantastic. It's a program for kids who qualify to get job training, how to be a cook, how to deal with the public, how to make coffee. But they have real skills that they then can go off into the community after the six months and get a job. So we're trying to look at the whole child from the beginning through adulthood. I'm sure it takes a lot of volunteers and a lot of dollars to help fund these types of programs and partnerships for the neurodiverse? Yes, it takes a lot of money. And we are having our big fundraising event coming up. It's called Launch, and it's December 7th in Vancouver. There's a few tickets left. We're always open to selling someone a ticket or a new sponsorship if they'd like. It's a very big event. We have a great entertainment and delicious lunch. If you go to PacificAutismFamily.com, you can buy a ticket. I wanted to circle back around to your time in television news before I let you go. Perhaps you could tell us a career highlight as far as news coverage in British Columbia goes. I did many thousands of stories. And, you know, the ones that really stick out, yes, there's the famous people and, you know, the high profile, the powerful politicians, Princess Diana, you know, all those are great stories, great interviews. But I think at the end of the day, the ones you really remember are ones where you really had an impact on someone and you could really make a difference. Like I remember this one family that had a little boy who had leukemia and his name was Colin and he had the most beautiful smile you've ever seen. They formed an organization called Colin Smile and I did many stories on them. They were raising money, but he needed a bone marrow transplant. That was the only thing that would save him. This family was so dedicated. I hung out with them. I got to know them. 
they would travel around the province and have asked people to sign up to be donors of bone marrow and because they needed to find someone who was a good enough match for him. At the end, they didn't find one that was good enough and he died. It was just a remarkable family, though, how they pulled together, how close they were. They just, okay, this is the problem. We're going to solve it. We're going to go out there and figure it out. And it's those kind of stories that are so moving. And I think together with them, because I did so many stories on it, literally thousands of people signed up to be a bone marrow donor. And maybe someone else was saved. I hope. I like to think that they were. But those are the kinds of stories that really stay with you, where you know that you made a difference in someone's life. Do you have any advice, Pamela, for those who might be considering a career in journalism? Yes, I want to encourage people to pursue it because it's a great career. But on the other hand, it's very tenuous. It's a very uncertain future right now. Local newsrooms are really critical for news because that's where people are in touch with the community. And if you're doing national news or international news, those organizations look to local newsroom to dig up the stories and do the investigating and find the people who have a story to tell. I believe we must have journalism. Democracy dies in darkness, as they say at the Washington Post, and it's true. Somehow we have to have a new model in order to survive, because without journalism, I really am afraid for democracy. And I think that we've seen an example of that in looking at the U.S., without news organizations calling on the powerful people and holding them to account, anything can happen. I think the answer is going to be that people will have to pay for good journalism. A very busy Pamela Martin has been our guest on this edition of Today in BC. If you have suggestions or comments, send a voice message to podcast at blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. Search, browse, buy. Black Press Media brings you today's drive. Find your new vehicle on our exclusive platform and get driving. At todaysdrive.com, you'll have access to inventory across B.C., where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. With new and used vehicles from the dealership around the corner and dealers across B.C., the best venue to find your next vehicle is todaysdrive.com.